0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 266. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum mania. We are starting to catch up from uh, some of the 2023 releases, the quote-unquote new releases, and why not jump into the new year with a time travel movie? A kind of a time travel movie, because we're playing with timelines a little bit.
1: Exactly. This doesn't feel... Like it only just came out last year. I think that's probably because it was the first big release, not just from Marvel, but really from Disney in 2023. So it feels like it's been around a lot longer, but I think that also could be because it's the end of a trilogy. Uh, But we mentioned this in our year in review that this wasn't one that we loved out of the gate, but it is the one that I've been most excited to talk about because looking back to Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, what I really like about these films is that they've not only kept the core cast together, other than Cassie, really, it's been the same director. So there's this obvious tonal shift from the crime movies, where you're focused on Scott Lang having just gotten out of jail and having to uh, figure out how to parent, to now going on this epic journey with the whole Pim Van Dyne yeah. family. Um, so there's a noticeable shift, and I'm wondering if as we talk through it and we really break it down, our opinions are going to change on this one.
0: I think that you were a little harsher on the movie upon first viewing than I was. I mean, I liked it the first time through. Didn't love it, but liked it quite a bit. But I, I too am very interested to see with a fresh set of eyes if I liked it any more or if I liked it any less. So, how does this film hold up versus the first time we saw it? Is there a way to recover the MCU at this point? Obviously, we know what's happening now, that with Kang the Conqueror and Jonathan Majors is out of the role. And did they make adjustments for the Disney Plus release? That kind of fixed some of the mistakes from the theatrical run. That on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount Using the code Monoreal at checkout. Visit fiercefoxco.com to check out all of the collections.
0: We flash back to the moment where Janet Van Dyme meets Kang the Conqueror in the Quantum Realm. In present day, Scott reads his best selling book and adjusts to a normal life. Cassie, meanwhile, finds herself in jail after becoming an activist who helps those displaced following the blip. Cassie also shows all of us that she has developed a device that can communicate with and explore the quantum realm. When Janet learns that the device works by sending signals to and from the quantum realm, she urges them to shut it off. However, the device malfunctions and pulls all of them into the quantum realm. Scott and Cassie get separated from Hope, Hank, and Janet who needs to guide them through the realm while trying to keep her past a secret. Scott and Cassie are found by castouts rebelling against their ruler, while Hank, Hope, and Janet are taken to see Lord Krylar, a former friend of Janet's. The rebels want nothing to do with Scott and Cassie until they hear Scott use Janet's name, Krylar tells Hank and Hope that Janet has many secrets and that her acts have led to countless deaths. We learn that he now works for Kang and has double-crossed them. They fight off Krylar and his men and escape to find Scott and Cassie. We see that Kang's men have tracked down Scott and Cassie and begin to attack the cast-outs in the hope of catching them. They are caught by MODOK, formerly known as Darren, who was found by Kang and rebuilt following his battle with Scott. You know, in the first film, uh, Janet, meanwhile, tells Hank and Hope that she met Kang years prior and that he claimed to be a traveler who invented a vehicle that travels the multiverse. His ship was destroyed and Janet helped him repair it so that they could return home and she could pick up where she left off with hope. When the neurokinetic ship was repaired, Janet saw the destruction that Kang left behind and learned that he was exiled to the Quantum Realm and because of her help, his exile was seemingly over. Kang promises to return Janet to her home and also promises to not destroy her world, but instead she blew up not into many pieces, literally made very large the core of his ship and trapped them in the Quantum Realm forever. She remained on the run while Kang built an empire in the Quantum Realm. Kang meets Scott who refuses to help him retrieve the oversized core Um, until Kang threatens to kill Cassie if he doesn't aid him, so Scott reluctantly agrees. MODOK warns Scott that once he enters the location of the Core that his mind will stray further and further the longer that he is there. He enters a probability storm where he sees a countless amount of Scots representing the countless possibilities for how this can end. Hope tracks him down and helps him get the power core. Kang takes the core and leaves with Janet while MODOK crashes Hank's ship. Hank's ants were also pulled into the realm, um, and they have found Hank, Hope, and Scott and have used their technology to build a means of defeating Kang because, as we learn, these are very intelligent ants, and as they traveled through the quantum realm, they traveled through centuries and centuries at a time and their intelligence and their tech is far beyond our scope. Cassie, meanwhile, escapes from her captivity and frees Gentura and the other rebels. They send a message out rallying all of the outcasts to rise up and defeat Kang. Modok is sent to kill Cassie while Kang readies his ship ...for launch. Scott pursues Kang while the rebels infiltrate the city. Cassie grows to a huge size, much like Scott, we've seen him do it before, and helps him prevent Kang from taking off along with help from Hope. Hank soon arrives with his army of ants and with some help from MODOK... who has now seen the light, they temporarily defeat Kang. MODOK dies following his final act of kindness as Janet repairs the power core. She, Hank, and Hope, uh, as well as Cassie, return home while Scott stays back to fight Kang and prevent him from leaving the Quantum Realm. He uses pim Particles to destroy Kang and the core, closing the door back home. At this point, Hope has also gone back into the Quantum Realm because Kang was just about to enter our world, and she was able to push him back. So it seems like they are seemingly stuck in the quantum realm, but that would be okay because the rebels have successfully taken the realm back. However, Cassie is able to reopen the door and bring them home. Reunited with his family, Scott stays uh, cautiously optimistic, remembering that Kang said that something bad was coming if he hadn't been let out of the quantum realm.
1: What's interesting to me is that this is easily one of the most complicated Marvel films just by virtue of you're dealing with quantum physics and yet it's one of the most simplified plots that we've ever had because normally we do the the Marvel films linearly yep. because it's just too much but this one I feel like is one of the most easily digestible.
0: Well, here's the other problem, quote unquote, with a lot of other Marvel movies You've got six or seven characters that you're tracking. This one's in this galaxy. This one's in captivity. This one's on this planet. This one's over here finding their origin story. Like, <laughs> they're all in one place. Yeah, they're separated, but they're all in the quantum realm. I mean, if I were to explain it one way, it's like a a movie that takes place in a city where you've got Two of your characters in in Manhattan and the other four are in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like even though there's this vast world of the quantum realm, it doesn't ever seem like they're that far away from each other.
1: Right. And it's also one family split into two groups. It's not something like Infinity War where you're totally reshuffling the characters and you've got Rocket off with Thor and they're paired off in all of these different ways. This is much easier to track. Um... Let's talk about the very beginning, this little peek that we get into how Janet survived. Um, I like that they start us here and they clue us in as the audience as to some of what she's experienced because she is... Deliberately keeping her family in the dark. Yeah. And because she's being so protective, and they obviously are building to she's got a dark secret about what happened to her down there, they needed to get us on the same page. They couldn't completely blindside us with it.
0: Correct. Now, here's the thing I love The Open, but I love The Open because we watched Loki. I Mm. think for a lot of people who didn't watch Loki, they don't know who Kang is. They don't know why any of this matters. Right. So I know that in the past, it was different with the MCU, where you kind of had to see a lot of these movies to put the pieces together. You know, it's 20-something films at this point. But I think most people, at least pre-pandemic would always go see the new Marvel movie because you'd just go see the new Marvel movie. I feel like it's sort of a more niche market for you to sit on your couch and tune into episodic television based on the MCU if you are a casual fan. So, I love the intro, I love the start, because we know as the audience, to your point, something very dark has happened in Janet's life because now we know she's been with Kang. The average moviegoer that just goes for a popcorn flick. They're not going to know what, what's going on and they're not going to know why any of this matters.
1: I definitely agree, but I think that also has to do with the multiverse because they are bending so many stories and they are flipping what we've already learned. There's not that sense of urgency of, oh my gosh, I have to watch every single thing. Otherwise I'm not going to know what's happening. The thing that puts people off of Marvel is actually making it more accessible now because yeah, you, it, with this multiverse, you don't necessarily have to see every single thing. But I think it's also important that they're giving us this peak because it sets up the family dynamic because there's that wonderful moment in Ant-Man and the Wasp where they get Janet back. And you kind of always knew that Hank was going to do it, but the way that it delivers on what Hope's wish has been since she was a little girl, you know, she was affected. This is a childhood trauma for her. And there's that really lovely moment between Hope and Janet just it, it's so well done by Evangeline Lilly and Michelle Pfeiffer where they have that moment where they're reunited. Um, so you think now we're going to catch up with them. It's going to be all warm and fuzzy and not necessarily. We see that hope has now taken the company back and it almost feels like in some way Hank and Janet are not only taking a step back, but they're like retired. Like they're just going to enjoy the time that they have left. Yeah. So, It is also setting that up um, and we wouldn't know why things didn't just pick up right where they left off as far as like, you know, they're making up for lost time. We wouldn't know why Janet is being so reserved. So this was important because I was sort of like, why wouldn't they just start with Scott, especially because you get this when we do see Scott finally, you get this incredibly jarring voiceover and until it's revealed that it's a book promo I didn't appreciate it until I realized exactly what they were setting up here and they just purely leaned into the comedy of it which is great
0: and I thought that they knocked that out of the park it is so on brand for Ant-Man as a character but also for Scott Lang that we get this very dramatic open into a very light-hearted moment where he's reading his own memoir um, and he's reading it to a group of kids that are all carrying their Ant-Man toys and wearing their costumes. But it's great to see because we've never seen Scott live a normal life. Exactly. And it's very short-lived here. But for a very brief moment, Scott has exactly what he wants. And I thought that it was important for us to see it because obviously that's all about to get flipped on its head very quickly.
1: I also love the callback here to Baskin-Robbins. You know, this is just Paul Rudd at his finest. And I love that he loves this character so much that he bothered to actually write the memoir for Scott in his own voice. I think that that is so brilliant. Um, I also like, you know, I briefly touched on it before. I I really like where Hope is at, where she is using her position to make real change. And Her priority is her father's company and not necessarily being a superhero to your point, because they never really were like, yes, they had the science and yes, they had the money, but they didn't have Tony's money. They didn't have Bruce's experience. They're not a god of thunder. You know, like they didn't they're kind of the average Joes when you put them up against the rest of the Avengers. Well, not maybe not Clint and Natasha because right. they were trained assassins. But if you're going to compare Ant-Man to something, I think the natural connection is to compare him to Iron Man, to the Cap, to Thor because he has a suit. He can become large. He can shrink. So it seems like he has a power, but when you really break it down... He is much more in line with Clint and Nat as far as just, you know, sort of being swept up in this world, but being your everyday man.
0: And I love that his book reading concludes with
1: just a very funny line of,
0: why is jail calling? (laughs) And it turns out that it's Cassie. So what a moment for him that he's going to jail but not for every other reason why he's gone to jail.
1: That reveal is so great, too, where the cop calls for Lang, and you think that we're, like, jumping ahead to, like, after Scott's been arrested again, and what did he do now? Um, so I think this is such a great reveal that it is, in fact, Cassie. Um, and I love that they're sort of setting up this misdirect that she's going to be so obnoxious because she is sort of mouthing off to the cops. But then you do sort of see that Scott humor and it's like, Oh, this is Scott's kid all grown up when she hands back the cop car and it's, it looks like a, like Hot, a Hot Wheels Wheel. toy. Yeah. yeah Shrunk exactly. down.
0: Uh, but I like this for her. I like this for the character because they had an opportunity here to make her that modern contemporary Gen Z, uh, you know, out there to make a statement, peaceful protest, I have a stance, I'm going to talk, you know, I'm going to defend the little guy, so to speak. And they could have really leaned into it, and I think that they could have tried to make more of a statement than they had to, and I think that it would have made the character borderline dislikable because I think she would have come off as kind of bratty and very mouthy. But they told the line very well of not pushing her quite that far, but also sort of working in that she's got PTSD following the blip because of what she's been through personally. So she's advocating for those who have been through hell following the blip, much like her. So they made it a very personal story. Without it being a preachy story.
1: Exactly. Because we have explored post-blip in other films and other series already. But it's been more focused on every, everybody's reunited. Everything's great again. Everything worked. Tony's sacrifice was not in vain. It's It's been very focused on Tony. But other than that, we haven't really seen how it's affected... The real world, quote unquote, other than when the cap was hosting the support group uh, after the snappening. They haven't really given us like a broad perspective. And I love this for not only Cassie that we're seeing, you know, somebody who was deeply affected by it because it happened during such formative years that she wants to take a stand and she's letting us know that everything is not as great as it seems because even though you got everybody back, now there's a housing crisis. And I was just like, that is so accurate to like what would really happen. I love that they, they ground us in reality in that way. So I love that we not only get that commentary, but that Cassie has such a stake in it. And I also love the relationship that she is developing with Scott's side of the family in particular, Hank, uh, he is grandpa Hank. Now I just absolutely love that because she always had a pretty good relationship with hope. And we've seen that, but I love that that's being expanded upon now with the whole family.
0: So do I. Um, and that she's showing how smart she is on her own And how she's taking a liking to Hank, to his research. She's been reading his journal. And I think what they accomplish really well here is keeping the pacing up. Because they have no time wasted getting us into the quantum realm. You know, we've talked about the runtime on a lot of these movies and how sometimes they're absurd. There's no reason for movies like this to be more than two hours. They... They did such a good job here of keeping it at a reasonable runtime, getting you right into the action um, without it needing to be dragged out with no meaning. And I also like the fact that in doing so, you also have now given Janet a stake in it. And we've already seen, as we mentioned before, that she's got a previous relationship with Kang, you can see she does not want to be going back into that quantum realm. Other than she spent most of her life in it, she doesn't want to go back into that quantum realm because she knows something that the rest of us don't know.
1: Even from the moment that Janet realizes that Cassie is sending a signal and she tells her to shut it down, there's a fear and there's an anger there. And at first, she's angry that they were messing around with the quantum realm and she's like, why didn't you ask me? And this is where it was important where we got that flashback scene with her first, because we know that she is trying to keep everything a secret and then hope calls her on it. And she's like, we tried to ask you, you didn't want to talk about this. Right. So then that shifts to being angry at herself because there she realizes, "Uh Oh, I should have told them about what's happening so that this exact thing didn't happen. Um, I love that once her parents are sucked in, Hope does not even hesitate to go after them. And there's this brief exchange between her and Scott and she kind of gives him a nod like I'm going and he doesn't stop her. He knows that she is fully capable. She knows that she's going to want to, he knows that she's going to want to protect her parents um, and that there's nothing he can do to stop her. But you know, he's not even going to hesitate to let her go, even though he knows it's dangerous. He's just going to trust her to do it. And I think part of him also knows they're all going in anyway, which is where I start to bump on this because while we don't know how much time they are actually down there, how much is getting sucked in? Because this seems very powerful, this pull. And is it the house that's going in? We know the ants got pulled in. Is it, is it just the basement? And this is where I think there was a real missed opportunity to bring back uh, more of the original cast and to have Luis be in, in involved in some way in helping them get back out. I think that would have been really funny if um, Scott had to sort of walk him through or, or even Cassie had to walk him through Um resetting this thing to get them back out of it if she was able to communicate from the inside. I think that would have been hysterical.
0: It would have been funny, I, but I, I disagree. I don't think that that would have been necessary. And I I, th- I think, well, what got sucked in? It, this is now an overthink. <laughs> this, this is a straight overthink. I mean, the fact that we're going to watch four characters be pulled into a different universe— if we're willing to suspend reality enough to believe that that's going to happen, I don't care what else gets sucked in. But to your point, I, I will I will uh, comment on something that you did say. Um, what gets confusing with the quantum realm is the exact thing that you just said, is is the amount of time spent there. Because Scott went into the quantum realm and, as we found out, I think he said he he felt like he was there for maybe an hour and it turns out he's been gone for 5 years, 6 years, you know, however long, forgive me, I can't remember exactly how long he was gone after the blip. I think it was 5 years. In this case, they've seemingly be, been gone for a day or two and when they return, they're right back to where they left off. So it, it seems like there's an inconsistency when it comes with the timing.
1: Right. And in Janet's case, we know that she was gone for 30 years. She's obviously aged, so have Hope and Hank, so we know there's a passage of time there. But yeah, I feel like it's I mean maybe that is the point that it's all relative, I guess. Um but to to your point earlier, they waste us no they waste no time in getting us there. Um, as much as I would have liked to have seen Luis, I don't think it would have necessarily served the movie because part of the reason that they are getting us into the quantum realm so fast is that this is supposed to feel like a different movie. I personally would have liked it more tied back to the first two, but I think that it was all done intentionally to give us this scene in Hank and Janet's house, give us the pizza dinner, and it's like everything you know is out the window because now we're playing with space and time. What's really impressive to me about how they designed this quantum realm is that it feels so small and so vast at the same time because they had to strike that balance between being subatomic and and feeling small in that way but also conveying a place that exists outside time and space and the first couple of times I watched this it really bothered me because I got stuck on the subatomic I was like I want everything to feel small I want it to feel like that first ant-man when he shrunk down the first time and he's falling through the floors of the apartment building and I wanted I wanted them to play with the big sets again but it wouldn't have necessarily made sense because even though this is like a sub-world, it wouldn't have lent to Kang's storyline. So I think that they did a really good job of playing to both.
0: And I think that the landscape, the backgrounds, the settings are very impressive. Yeah. I mean, the CGI in this film by and large, is god-awful, well, I'm going to put a pin in that for for a couple of reasons. However, what stands out to me is the world looks believable. It looks real. And I think that's because of the way that they shot the film.
1: I didn't even know they were doing things like that now where they are projecting the set onto the well, not necessarily the blue screens, but instead of the blue screen, they are doing a projection so that the actors can see it. And I think that that was so important to this film because it's a complete departure from everything that the cast knows about the first two films that they've done. Um, it's such a different world. It's it's not like the director could say to them, okay, imagine outer space, like with Guardians or, or something like that. Um this has to be totally different. And I think that it was equally important too for um, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, even though Michelle Pfeiffer is no stranger to comic book movies, it's been a long time since she was Catwoman. And back then it was all practical. So to have them have to assimilate into this world of CGI, I think was a big undertaking. And that's not something that they really had to deal with too much in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but now that it's going to be the whole movie and they are going to take on much bigger roles in this one. Um I think it was important for the, to to give these seasoned actors something to latch to, something that they're used of.
0: I think the other thing is we've seen this kind of technology uh technology used in The Mandalorian, not exactly the same but very similar because th- these are projector uh projections whereas The Mandalorian, it's just a giant screen. Mm -hmm. But what you'll notice is now that they've gotten into this kind of filmmaking, this kind of technology, all of a sudden, it looks three-dimensional again. It doesn't look like, you know, Burton's Alice in Wonderland, where it's very obvious that these are live-action actors against a green screen or, you know, or a blue screen, where they lack dimension,
1: And I think that also sort of forced the hand of the other departments, because since you're not going full CGI, a lot of the makeup, I mean, some of it was visual effects, but a lot of it was uh, 3D printing to create these beings of the quantum realm.
0: Yeah, um, I think to me, the makeup is impressive. I think the prosthetics, for the most part, are impressive. I think that the costumes are impressive. But I think some of the 3D-printed stuff, to me, before I even knew it was 3D-printed, to me, I looked at it and I thought it looked plastic. Like, when I go back and look at the creatures that George Lucas developed for Star Wars in 1977, in 1977... They look better now than some of those characters did for a film that came out last year. I understand that we're still learning a lot with 3D printing, and I think that it can be a very useful tool. But, you know, they, the filmmakers and and the visual effects department and the makeup department had even said themselves, like, some of this is too much for us to take on with prosthetics and with latex, so we just 3D printed. In fact, it was the, too intricate. Yeah, well, I mean, so was a lot of what happened in the 70s with Star Wars. I don't know. They figured out a way to pull that off. I think, fair. I think intricate is a way of saying expensive without saying expensive.
1: That's fair. I think that's fair. What I wish about these creatures, though, I wish that there would have been more that we could identify from our world in the quantum realm um oh, like come on you've never seen broccoli before <laughs> well no I was going to that's what I was just going to say and use that as an example I like that we see the broccoli but it, you don't eat broccoli in this world broccoli is a person I would have liked to see more of those things where it's sort of topsy-turvy and things that we know are completely completely different in the quantum realm but I wish that instead of having everything be so fantastical there was more that we could identify that we would know Um, but that aside, I love how Janet is in complete control of this situation, except for the family dynamic now, because we are ripping off that band aid. She's been keeping everything quiet. They know that there's something that she's hiding and now hope is just going to confront her about it. And they don't know how much danger they are actually in. They know that this is a threatening situation, but hope is used to this. She's fought Thanos. Um, so she's she's not in any rush to go confront the bad guy. She's like, "No, no, 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 we're gonna have this conversation now." And Janet's like, "Shut up, and this is my this is my domain now. You're playing by my rules. I'm the o g wasp, and I love that, you know, she sort of has to put hope in her place that way,
0: yeah, and I love that they have the seriousness of her mystery bouncing off of. As we're flashing back to the other location, Scott, with these very quirky freedom fighters, um, I think that it was really, really well done. Because you still... It's an Ant-Man movie, so you still need to have some comedy. You still need to have some lightheartedness. And I thought that they struck the balance very well there. It didn't feel jarring. Uh, It didn't feel out of place. and I thought that that was kind of on brand for the character and for the franchise.
1: What I really love here is that they did bring one of Scott's criminal friends from the original back, uh, just not as the same character. They brought back David Dasmalkian. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, to voice, not only voice Veb uh, in this scene, the being that lacks holes and is obsessed with scots drink
0: the goo drink
1: the (laughs) drink the ooze yeah um he he not only voiced him but he also uh was on set in the suit so he got to he was basically like what sean gunn did as rocket in guardians of the galaxy where he could be the placeholder for what was to eventually be cgi so i love that they thought enough of the actor to Bring him back in a different way, and then the voice is just fantastic because he's got an accent in Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp, and now he's just—it's it, just such a great comedic performance.
0: He's underappreciated for his talents because he's always been kind of like a bit actor. Yeah, you recognize him of like from oh, I remember seeing him in that. Like, I'll always yes. remember him as being the mental patient the mute mental patient in the dark night when the joker takes gotham
1: oh my gosh and
0: he takes from arkham asylum yep. and dresses them as as cops and mm-hmm. they're all fakes that's where i remember yep. him from and then then he ends up being in suicide squad yeah so it, like that's where i remember him from a little bit part where he doesn't even speak and he stole the scene So I'm glad that he got an opportunity to really show off his chops here.
1: I love how um, drinking the ooze and having a drink at the bar accomplish the same thing as far as uh, eliminating the language barrier. I'm wondering if they are serving the same ooze at the bar. I love this scene. I love how Janet opens it up. I love that we're going to meet her friend. And I think at this point, you know it's going to be a good cameo. And there were so many rumors that Bill Murray was coming to the MCU. But I was just never expecting this. This was just a fantastic character and the perfect opportunity to get this giant one-off cameo. Um, but but who better to play Krylar? Um, I love like this swagger that he gives him pulling up to the bar on his yacht. Uh, this, I'm going to be friendly because I've heard so much about the family, but also I've had relations with your wife. And it's very Bill Murray. It, it totally is. There's no one else that could have played that. It, it's so perfect.
0: He was great. I was a little thrown off, though, because when it was confirmed that he was in the film and we did See him in one trailer very quickly, though. I thought... Like, I knew Kang was in the movie, but I thought that Bill Murray was going to play more of a villain role, that he was going to be more of a big bad. I thought he was going to play a bigger part in this movie. I didn't know it was just going to be a cameo. For For a cameo, it certainly worked. He was incredible. Um, I wish that we would have had a little bit more of him, because... The thing that they accomplish really well is, even though we know that Janet's a quote unquote good guy, at this point, we don't know who to trust. Like we know that we probably can't trust Bill Murray, but we also don't know if we can trust Janet. Exactly. And for as well paced as this movie is, I do wish that we would have played with like played with this and made it a through line for a little bit longer.
1: I think had Modoc not been in the mix, I think you would have gotten a little bit more screen time for Bill Murray because Kang sort of does need a henchman. Um, But for what this is, I think it's perfect because from, from the moment he sits them down at the table and like, yes, you do get that sort of awkward reunion. You know that they are old friends. You think that awkwardness comes from now you're meeting janet's husband but in two seconds you realize he doesn't care that she had a he knew the whole time she had a family so this isn't awkward for him and that's where you get that seed of doubt of i don't know that i can trust him um but being that he wasn't going to be more of a villain i think that this was perfect just because he's kind of a crooked character he's going to be on whatever side is convenient for him um so i love this whole scene um, I love the escape from the bar. I love how they're still using the Pym particles, um, and that ultimately what allows them to escape is that Hank tosses one on the that little octopus that's in the drink, and that takes everybody out at the bar so that they can escape. And now he's got to fly, uh, this yacht that they've stolen. This whole thing was brilliant, where the controls are like organisms that go over your hands. And, you know, we've just seen him ask the bartender to try and get drunk. Like, I love this version of Hank so much. Like, I love seeing Michael Douglas flex his comedy chops, but I also love that a character that has been sort of morally ambiguous this entire time, he's been like the reluctant mentor to Scott, he's hidden a lot of his work, He's kind of always operated just inside the rules so that he doesn't get shut down. And now he's got his wife back after 30 years. He just wants to live life and like retire. So I love this like towing the line of he's just coming out of retirement. And, you know, he's just so happy to have Janet back. He's going to trust her and do whatever she needs at this point. And he's he's completely letting her take the reins, even though he is quite literally steering this thing.
0: Let's talk about the fight that Scott and Cassie have to partake in because now that our other three have escaped, Kang has tracked down Scott and Cassie, you know, with some help, of course, from from Krylar uh, and the fact that Cassie had sent the signal out. He zeroes in on the rebels and he starts to attack. I love this moment for Scott and Cassie um, jump and tap, jump and tap, because now we've seen Cassie has a suit. And I think that this is important for uh, Catherine Newton, who took the role of Cassie, who, who, like, low-key, now Cassie's been recast three times, so she is now the third Cassie. But I think that this was great for her because you're starting to see how she's sort of really paralleling Scott's story between being a criminal less than Scott, really, at the end of the day. You know, not to the same level. She's
1: got a slap on the wrist. Right. I mean, like, yes, she's done jail time, but, like, it was a slap on the wrist in comparison. She hasn't done theft.
0: No. However, you do see that there is that parallel there. She has a suit and how he's now going to mentor her. Because he has no choice but to mentor her Mm -hmm. because whether he wants her to hide or not, she's already told you she's not going to do it. So he's forced into showing her what to do. And I think that it's a great moment for for both of them.
1: I also love how they've built to this moment because she has pretty much called Scott to task here. To your point, you mentioned earlier how this is the first time he's ever gotten to, like, just live his life. He's not a criminal anymore. He's not under house arrest. And... Everybody else is accusing him of sort of sitting back on his laurels, but it's it's not that. he. I mean, like, yes, he wrote the book, and yes, he loves telling his stories of fighting with Captain America, but at the same time, he's just looking for some semblance of normalcy, and he barely had time to catch his breath, and Cassie has called him out on that, that just because the fight is over doesn't mean that there aren't people to help. And you could see that that sort of resonates with Scott, but he's also not going to go looking for problems that he can solve either. And now she really asks him to step up and join this battle because he's just trying to protect his peace and get everybody back out of the the quantum realm. And Cassie sees what's happening here. And she says to him, just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think that that is her entire character in a nutshell. I love the line. I love the, the delivery. Um, and this is where Scott, whether he wants to or not, is going to join in this fight. Let's talk about Modoc. The return of Darren is great. That makes so much sense. But... Modoc is absolutely ridiculous and just looks terrible.
0: So here's the thing. The look of M.O.D.O.K. is intentionally ridiculous. You see it in the comic book. In the source material, historically, the look of him is ridiculous. But it's because he's got a big head and it's up against... Arms and legs that are to scale. You know what I'm saying? Like the regular human body.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I totally get that that's how he's supposed to be designed. But I'm talking about the CGI. Yes. And the way that his face looks stretched out.
0: Correct. That's what I was getting to. If you look at the source material, he doesn't look like a normal face. Right. He's got scars he it, it's sometimes some of the, some of the time he looks like Thanos sometimes his skin is purple or blue I understand that you wanted us to know that it was Darren and I think that you could have made him Darren but you could have discolored his face you could have scarred him you could have burned him you could have done anything but instead he looks like... A stretched out flat face. And he has no dimension to him. And the problem here. The CGI is horrific. And a lot of the CGI. When we saw this in theaters. Was horrific. Now we also know. Confirmed. That this was a rush job. That they slid this movie's release up. They traded its release date with the Marvels because they needed to put something on the slate and this was further along. We also know that they dedicated most of their budget on visual effects to Wakanda Forever. And that left a lot less money for this film. And they rushed it. And when the film premiered and when the film was released in theaters, there was unrendered CGI in the movie. This is not speculative. And I don't like to talk about speculation on this show, but I'm going to. Because it has been speculated that when they put the movie on Disney+, Plus, they fixed a lot of the undone CGI. The reason why I'm willing to discuss speculation is because we saw this in the movie theaters. We knew it looked terrific. Modoc looks terrible. The rest of it looks a lot better than it did when we saw it. And I don't think that that has to do with the fact that we're watching this at home now versus watching this in a movie theater. We have a 65-inch 4K TV in two rooms. So if there's a fault to be seen, we're going to see it. And I don't think that we're watching this film with any sort of rose-colored glasses now. I think Modoc is what he is. I think a lot of the other CGI, while still not great, looks a lot better than it did when we saw it the first time. I think that they did go in and fix a lot of the CGI because then, with the extra time, they had it ready for Disney+.
1: I would agree with that. I mean, Modoc's going to be what he is because that was motion capture. I don't think that there's anything that you can do to change that. But as far as the rest of it, if you're going in and you're doing more with the background characters, the background sets, um, I mean, that's almost been confirmed, not necessarily with this movie, but we know they did it for Cats because Cats wasn't ready to go and... Lord knows what a debacle that was, but this is something that's only recently come to light with visual effects because people are talking more and more about it now because they're trying to unionize. But I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that when we talk about visual effects budgets for a film, um, that doesn't apply to any sort of timeline. I mean, yes, you are on a timeline for post-production. Um, And that includes, you know, the edit itself, then the visual effects, the sound mixing, all of it. That is a very strict timeline. However, visual effects, when a special effects house takes them on, they go by shot. And that's what's budgeted, is how many shots are going to require VFX in them. So when we talk about it was rushed, it feels rushed, it feels like something's unrendered, it's because if they've you know commit to doing i don't know 300 visual effect shots and you're giving them a month to do it they might only get to half because you're putting too much pressure on them as the movie studio and you're not giving them enough money to complete the job so that's where the breakdown really comes from and it's possible that because of VFX house doesn't want to put it out looking less than perfect they will continue to work on it after the fact now I'm not saying that they're doing that after they've already been paid and there's no more money and they're not being compensated for their time they absolutely shouldn't be doing that however there's absolutely the ability to work on these films after a theatrical release
0: I want to talk about the full fleshing out that is the backstory of Kang and Janet because She still hasn't told us everything yet. We've pieced things together based on what other characters have told us, based on flashbacks that we've seen. Now we get how everything is fleshed out here. And I find it to be absolutely brilliant because we know that Kang, based on how he's been played out uh, over his very short tenure in the MCU, we know how powerful he is. So it's very interesting to see that he is in a very um, vulnerable position inside the quantum realm and that he does need a Terran for all intents and purposes, a very brilliant one, of course, but he needs a Terran to get him back on course. Right. And I think that it speaks a lot to... Janet's character as well, because the thing that like we know Hank is brilliant, we know Hope is brilliant, but because we didn't get a lot of time with Janet in the second film, I think it was important to see her intelligence and her drive and her way of problem solving really get fleshed out here.
1: I think that we also forget how brave Janet is too, because let's not forget how she ended up in the quantum realm in the first place. They were trying to disarm a bomb and she had to shrink down that small to get inside of it. And she knew exactly what the risks were and she took them anyway because Hank's, um, suit wouldn't go. Right. Um, so I think, you know, Because she gets reunited with her family and that's so much the focus, you forget about what got her there in the first place. And I love that all of those layers do come out again. Her intelligence, her bravery, and we see that play out now in the face of Kang. And I love how all of these layers also lend to how conflicted she is over what she's done.
0: Because you also see the selflessness. You know, she's she's doing what she can for Kang, not knowing what his ulterior motive is, of course, because she does stand to benefit from it. But the minute that she knows exactly what it is he's going to do, she could just as easily say, you know what, I get to go home, I get to see my daughter, my world is safe. These planets and organisms that I have never seen, I will never see, you know, you could you could be blind to it and just be like, well, who really knows if it's there? The fact that she's willing to not only give up the opportunity to see her family again, but she's going to spend an eternity in this quantum realm on the run says a lot about her as a character as well.
1: I think it also speaks to one of the bigger themes of this film, which we mentioned earlier when Cassie says, just because it's happening to you doesn't mean that it's not happening. And we did see Janet sacrifice herself for her family And her world. And I think that you could make the argument that this is Janet's world now. So it's in her character to make this sacrifice again. But I think that this speaks more to the bigger picture of she doesn't want to determine who lives and who dies, which is a huge theme of the MCU. And I'm only just realizing this now it never occurred to me how many parallels there are between Janet and Tony, because that was always Tony's thing is, you know, we don't get to play God. It, it matters to either the one person that you save or the thousands of people that you save. You just have to save people. Um, so this is a really huge, really deep scene.
0: Let's move on to the probability storm.
1: Hilarious. Th-
0: this whole thing is fantastic. Baskin Robbins and all. But what I love most about it, other than the fact that it's obviously very funny, is that they literally work as ants to get him to where he needs to be before Hope comes in and finally aids him in accomplishing his goal.
1: This was such a brilliant full circle moment. This ties it back to the original Ant-Man and... Going one step further, this is also going back to why you cast Paul Rudd in this role in the first place. This is the most Paul Rudd it feels like in this entire film with all of these versions of Scott cheering each other on. I would love to hear some of this raw audio because I I would be willing to bet that he improv'd most of it.
0: Oh, I'm I'm certain of it. And
1: I'm sure that there are so many gems that got cut. But to me, yeah, this is just such a great full circle scene.
0: And it ends with Kang doing the exact thing that he said he wasn't going to do. He does not release Cassie. He takes Janet and off he goes. And that kind of starts pushing us towards the end of the film.
1: This is where everything starts to shift from hearing how evil Kang is to seeing how evil Kang is because they've been building to it this whole time. And from everything that we've seen hinting towards him or his variants in other series, and even in the scene with Janet, he doesn't do anything horrible in the moment. Janet just sees what could happen or what did happen in these alternate timelines right but here is where it really starts to come out because he's so monotone and he's almost quiet in the way that he speaks but he is so calculated it just exudes evil and now it's like all right gloves are off i've got nothing to hide Everybody's against me and I want to get out of here. So we're going to see him start pulling out all the stops. And you know that he's going to rival Thanos as far as being a big bad when Scott and Hope go after him and they shrink down and they're ready to make a sneak attack and he just flicks them out of the way. It's it's wild.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a moment of self-awareness for him. It's a moment where he is fully aware of his actions, and he is, to your point, very calculated. And because he is so calm, that within itself is off-putting. You know, you, you don't see, as you see in so many of these films somebody snap and start screaming and acting irrational, right? He is so self-righteous and so believes in what it is that he is about to do that it is completely unsettling.
1: And that's where he really starts to feel dangerous. And to your point, as far as believing what he's saying, he's so convincing that... Even I started going back and forth when he finally is reunited with Janet. Um, There was a moment where I was like, I know this is supposed to be the King, the conqueror variant. And he is the one who was exiled by the rest of them. But I was like, is he the most dangerous one? Or is he the one that's going to try and solve everything? And should we maybe believe him? It's, it's a really great performance is, is what it is. It's so nuanced. And I hate saying it because of everything that's happened with the actor, but it, it really is brilliant.
0: Moving on to really the end of the movie here, because everything from this point moving forward happens very quick, which I appreciate. I like that we have a quick battle. That it's not unnecessarily drawn out. I like the fact that we have the ants. I, I mentioned earlier about how they lived centuries in a single second and how their tech caught up and and far exceeded anything that they ever could have imagined. I love that their scale and, and their level of intelligence in the quantum realm, you know, it's all relative, right? I love that they did that. I love that moment for Hank where he's just like, I like ants. Yeah, you know, like... Everything about it is really good, and to the point you made earlier, ties back to the beginning, ties back to the original film. Everything about it is, is to me, just lights out.
1: I love that they bring the ants full circle, and I agree with you. I love that moment not only for Hank, but I love it for Michael Douglas. I almost wish they would have leaned into the cheese factor and let him do that entire catwalk in slow motion because it's just so funny to just see him you know it's not that moment like Iron Man when he's flying and, and you've got you know this the wind pushing back and everything right The ants are what your eyes are drawn to behind him. So just, like, give him that moment to stand in his glory. Uh, But it's, it's great nonetheless. I also really like this moment for Cassie when she breaks Gentura out and she has to make this speech. This is where, to Catherine Newton's credit, you really do see the sprinkles of Paul Rudd's humor because she gets on there and she's like, is this thing on? And there's that little bit of awkwardness and you could tell that she was able to sort of pick that up from him and uh, apply it to her character. And now, you know, I totally, I totally believe that this is Cassie all grown up and that that is Scott's daughter. And I love that she was able to inject that style of humor in there. Um, What I don't love for Cassie, I mean, her, you know, really figuring out her powers and getting big for the first time works. And yeeting Darren into last week is exactly what he deserved, but I just wish it would have stopped there. We didn't need this whole... Just don't be a D.
0: Oh, I thought that was hysterical. Did you? Yeah, I thought that was funny.
1: I just felt like it was so funny far left field from anything that this that these movies have done and any of the humor that they've established I was like where is this coming from
0: no I didn't mind that at all and I thought that it was funny in in Darren's death where he just assumes that he has died in Avenger and they're just like yeah yep that's it that's yep you're in you're in it's just just like let just let him believe what he wants it's over like I thought that that was all very funny actually
1: that part was funny Um, I hate to say it, that was also the best he looked as far as the CGI goes, is in the death scene. Because he wasn't all stretched out. I think it had to do with that he's kind of um, concave because he broke through the barriers. And now he, I think because he's sitting a little bit differently, I think it looked better. Um, The only other thing that I bump on uh, in the end here is that I feel like... Jintora's only character trait is that she's this hardened warrior. And as much as you like that as somebody that you can get behind and as much as I love like what they did with her costume and, and the aesthetic of this character and how cool she looks, we really don't have enough of a backstory to care about her and her people. And like, yes, I know Kang has done horrible things to them, but because... You know, one of the characters is this seemingly blob of goo with no holes. The other one is a flamethrower. I'm not saying that you have to have actual things that look like people for us to care about. But I feel like we just didn't get enough emotion from the rest of her team where we care about their victory. Yeah. It, it feels more like we're just happy that Kang was stopped and not like, oh, thank goodness they're all OK.
0: Yeah. Walty, are you enjoying this as well? Are you are you <laughs> giving us your opinion? Um, let me tell you, it works for for Valkyrie because, yeah, we see her yeah, get played yeah. out over the course of many Thor films. And that obviously bleeds into more. But with this, it's almost like there's your there's your ah character. You get it. Because we saw it with Valkyrie, and you're just going to sympathize with, ah! You know, like, really, that's what she is. If you if you could summarize her in one line, that's her line.
1: No, and maybe that is the point, because that does play into the film's message of you should still care even if it doesn't impact you. Yeah. And that's great, but as an audience... We need to care about the character still.
0: Right. Correct. Let's get to the very end of the film here.
1: Where Kang gets up for one more round.
0: Yes. I was fine with that because I thought that if that's how he went out at the hands of the ants, that that would have been anticlimactic. Um, I thought what I thought we were going to get here. There were, in my opinion, three fake out endings in this movie. The first specifically in this scene is when Scott says, I don't need you to win. I just need both of us to lose. I thought that we were getting this moment where he's going to shut the door and stay in the quantum realm just to keep Kang from getting out. You know, I'm thinking, okay, at this point, most of our Avengers are gone. They've either been killed off or retired or moved on in their own series this is the end of a trilogy is this going to be the end of scott lang especially because it is going to kick off the next phase of the mcu or so they thought so it's like is this how we close the book on him and open the door to fantastic four to x-men like what exactly is going to happen here that was a fake out then when hope comes through i'm like Wait, are we going to have both of them trapped in here? Right. Is this another fake out? And no, ultimately, Cassie just goes to her keyboard and opens it up again. But but how did you feel about all of this and, and how this panned out with Kang?
1: I mean, I agree. That was pretty much the same train of thought that was racing through my mind at this point. Uh, I definitely was convinced that he was getting stuck in the quantum realm and... If Kang didn't, in fact, take him out, because this fight, the first time I saw it, I thought it dragged a little bit. Now, I don't I I think the pacing is okay, but Scott's getting pretty beat up here. And like we know he can take a punch, but there's nothing else he can do. He can't get big. He can't shrink. Like I, I was like, I know they're passing the baton, so I think it would be a fitting ending if he did get stuck in the quantum realm. But I was like, are they actually going to kill him? And I was like, what's the point of that? It's his last movie anyway. Um, So I thought it was a really good twist that Hope came back in. And I really love that for her character because she just got everything she wanted. She got her mom back, her family's together. They have a great thing going. And she gives it all up for Scott. And I love that... um, You know, as far as these movies go and as far as like the quote unquote Marvel couples go, you know, we see Pepper backing up Tony. But when we think of like dabbling into romance, I think that's the most we've gotten out of Marvel. To me, this is like the most romantic gesture that anyone's ever done in the MCU And yet they've been like the least romantic couple, if that makes sense.
0: No, it's true because they kind of have, like, we know that they are what they are, but they never really define it either.
1: The most they do is when they don their suits and go up to the Golden Gate for date night, which I love. I love that scene in the beginning. But like, yeah, that's the thing. They've never done anything that's that over the top for each other. And... This is that moment. Or, or I should say, no, I should say they've never been that lovey-dovey. They've never been as affectionate. But here is where it delivers on everything.
0: And the final fake-out ending for me was when Scott's walking down the sidewalk with that cake. And he realizes, wait a minute, this might not be over with Kang. And I I was fully expecting that we were going to get... um that multiverse of madness ending the way that doctor strange in the multiverse of madness ends where everything seems like it's great and Stephen strange is walking down the, th- the road before he gets the third eye on his forehead i'm totally anticipating especially on the heels of that film that something like that is going to happen to scott lang
1: a lot of people were making that argument like that was a big hot take that this was all just a fake reality that Scott was in and I see why people think that because if you look the way that San Francisco is shot in the opening sequence when he's reading his book it's a lot more gray and I don't know if they did that intentionally cinematography wise or if it was just like a cloudy day that they were shooting and now it seems so much more vibrant. And I was kind of like, are they painting the picture that everything is too good to be true? The only thing really missing for me, um, I think it's funny that this is a fake birthday for Cassie just because he missed a few. I love that Hank and Janet are there and they're celebrating as a family, but I wish we would have got one more moment with Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale because they were sorely missed in this trilogy for me. Um, I mean, I love those actors to begin with, but I really like their characters, the way that Scott won them over now that he's an Avenger and, and they're kind of, you know, kissing his butt to make up for treating him like a criminal this entire right. time. So I kind of wish that we had like that one big blended family moment.
0: Final thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. I'll go first. Um, I liked this movie a lot when we saw it the first time. I can see where people took issue with it. I think upon a second and then a third rewatch, I like this film probably more now than I did even the first time I saw it, and I liked it a lot then. I do think that they've gone ahead and cleaned up the CGI. I do think that they finished a lot of unfinished and unrendered visual effects. But with all of that being said, uh, I thought that this was just a solid trilogy. I thought these were three good Ant-Man movies. And what's, what's amazing to me about the MCU is Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy, to me, are the two best trilogies. I actually think this is a very close third because the Hulk never got a trilogy. Uh... Thor: The Dark World is awful. The second two Iron Man movies are not that great.
1: I like the third one.
0: It's okay at best, but the second one, where's my bird? No, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> um, but 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 what stands out to me is the fact that as I sit here and I talk about all of the characters that we've been introduced to, two of the three best trilogies and two of the three most beloved trilogies I think amongst Marvel fans came from Ant-Man who they viewed as a kind of a risk even making these films because he doesn't have the following that Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain America, Thor, and the Guardians of the Galaxy another off the beaten path not quite as popular or recognizable franchise so I think it's really incredible what they were able to do with both of those franchises.
1: For me, this took four full watches to get on board and appreciate it because I didn't really love it when we saw it in theaters. The second time I watched it was on a plane, which is not the best for a viewing experience anyway, but it still didn't capture my attention. And even up to the point where I sat down to watch it for this review the first time, it wasn't holding my attention. I kept spacing out. So it wasn't until that time where I really sat down, took my notes and really paid attention that I realized how much more layered and nuanced and how much more Depth there is with the characters that I was able to fully appreciate it. I wouldn't put it on par with Captain America and Guardians as being an amazing trilogy, but my biggest takeaway from this is that it does feel like a complete trilogy to me now. I really felt like it was such a departure from the first two, and that's what I didn't like about it. But now, having talked more in depth about the characters and seeing where they're all landing and seeing their full arcs play out. It does feel like a very complete trilogy.
0: We want to know what you have to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. You can let us know on X, Instagram and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week and a giveaway are coming up, but first, a quick break.
1: News of the Week is proudly sponsored by KMV Travel. KMV Travel is a boutique travel agency that helps families plan personalized vacations and create unforgettable memories on land and at sea. KMV Travel specializes in Disney destinations, family theme parks, and most major cruise lines, providing unmatched service from start to finish with the belief that vacations are an important part of life. KMV Travel will help you and your family experience new places, learn about other cultures, relax, and reconnect with those who mean most. KMV Travel will guide you from booking to bon voyage, ensuring you have the tools you need to enjoy each moment of your vacation at no extra cost to you. Visit kmvtravel.com to connect with an expert travel advisor and start planning your getaway now.
0: News this week, perhaps some of the biggest news this week, 95 years in the making, Mickey Mouse, at least in Steamboat Willie form, has gone into public domain. And it should surprise nobody that on the day that he goes into public domain, we get the trailer for Mickey's Mouse Trap, the Mickey Mouse horror film. Very similar To the Winnie the Pooh horror film. Now I think it. For those of you out there who. Didn't read any articles. This is not Mickey Mouse in totality. This is just Mickey Mouse. In Steamboat Willie form. It blows my mind. How many people are number one. Shocked. That this trailer came. It blows my mind how many people are angered. That this movie came. And. It shot what I think the most startling thing is the amount of people I see the same thing on social media over and over again. How did Disney let this happen? Because (laughs) people don't understand how public domain works.
1: Right. And this is why there are so many versions of Mickey Mouse like they've been ahead of this for years that's why all of those changes to the character that they make that everybody complains about when it happens it just sort of resets the clock on that version of Mickey but I think what's the most off-putting to me about this I don't care that it's a genre flip I thought it was hilarious when they did it with Winnie the Pooh and I'm probably going to get a big old chuckle out of this one I did watch the trailer. It feels just like Five Nights at Freddy's, so it's totally derivative. And the other thing is that it's not just Mickey's mousetrap. There's another film in the works called Steamboat Willie where they're doing a play on the short where he works on a ferry and he's murdering people. I can only hope it's the Staten Island ferry. I think that would be very fitting if we see like a gritty New York crime uh you know like slasher film I I think that would be great but what bothers me and don't misunderstand I'm not one of these people that's like shocked and appalled that this is happening it bothers me that there's two already it just seems like the vultures were circling and obviously they were going to people have been waiting for this but what I'm really getting annoyed at is like how Variety keeps delighting in this. Because Variety is really the one leading the charge with most of these articles.
0: Well, remember, a lot of mainstream media loves that this is happening because they hate Disney because Disney owns so much.
1: And I think that's really what's rubbing me the wrong way the most is that looking at the big picture, not only are they championing these movies that are being made, they're trying to make connections to what's happening with Disney movies at the box office now, what's happening at the parks, what's happening with the company. And it really seems like they're rooting for Disney's downfall. And that makes me really mad and disappointed.
0: Well, they're going to be waiting a long time for Disney to have a downfall because in spite of the fact that the box office numbers have not been there, they still have all of the parks. And I do believe that we are going to have an influx of visitors in 2024.
1: Yes, because they have added another new promotion. There are already a couple of really good ones out there, but this one I was really surprised at because it's a pretty good deal. Starting January 3rd, Disney Plus subscribers can get a free dining plan. Now, here's the fine print. Uh, This only applies to non-discounted, which we know, obviously, you can't package or you can't combine discounts. Um it's on a fortnight 4-day package uh that includes a room at a select Disney resort uh and you also have to have the park hopper option added to your ticket. So this isn't a blanket deal for everybody that's going for 4 days. It there there are a lot of uh caveats to it, but It's still a pretty good offer, I think.
0: Yeah, what I find interesting here is that for the longest time, Disney promoted park hopping. That was a big perk. Do more than one park in a day, right? Add it on, of course, spend more money, but you can park hop. Then for like two years coming out of the pandemic, no park hopping. They didn't want you to park hop. Now, not only do they want you to park hop, Not only have they made it easier with limiting the restrictions on when you can park up, but now they're incentivizing you to do what they always wanted you to do to begin with. What I think that is showing us is the change at the top has a lot to do with this, and I think that we're also starting to see that Disney is starting to listen to their parks guests and i can only hope against all better judgment mind you i can only hope that certain perks that we used to have not that it affects us per se cuz we're locals now but for those who who do travel in from out of town the perks that we were accustomed to that made disney such an approachable experience i'm ho- i'm hopeful that we start to see the return of a lot ...of the perks from back in the day. Absolutely. But we are interested in knowing what you have to say... ...about the Disney Parks news this week... ...about the public domain news this week. You can let us know on X Instagram and Facebook at Monoreal Radio... ...or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. We have a really cool giveaway here... ...to start off the new year in celebration of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We have a Funko Pop keychain. It is an Ant-Man keychain that was released in tandem with this film, and we want to give it away to one of you. Uh, So, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We're going to do this on social media. So, on X, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure that you are following the account, uh, either of them or any of them, or all three of them if you want. Um, Make sure that you like the post, because we're going to post a photograph of the keychain, and tag a friend. You will have until... Tuesday, January 9th, 2024 at 11:59 p.m. we're going to give you a week and then we will announce the winner of our giveaway. Um which I am just really excited. First episode of the year. I'm in you know, we're in a giving mood coming out of the holiday seasons. I'm getting ready for dopey. Like we're just very happy right now.
1: And we've got more to come. Yeah. We've got quite a few funcos.
0: Stay tuned. We got a lot of things to give away this year.
1: And we've got a lot coming up. We're going to have a lot of giveaways at uh, House of Mouse Expo in March.
0: Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Monorail Radio will always be free, but there are many ways that you can support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media, at Monorail Radio on all major platforms, and share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may enjoy them. We all get one story,